Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. That saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thy will. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And said unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again and ascended a second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it thy will be done let us pray dear heavenly father we thank you for this opportunity lord for teaching us that we are not the ones in control when we accepted you and received you as our savior we gave you the deed to our heart and permission in our life. Lord, we thank you for what you are reminding us and what you're teaching us. That your name may be glorified. That your people are edified. That sinners are justified. And that the devil is petrified. In the only name that really matters, he who reigns who and shall return again. Jesus the Christ we do pray. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If I would talk from a theme this morning, it would be the battle within yourself. The battle within yourself. Oftentimes, we are faced with moments of misery. And these moments of misery are guaranteed to pop up in our Christian walk. Those times begin to burden our hearts and produce an overwhelming feeling that makes life seem unpleasant. And unpleasantness brings on unbearable servitude or 
disgruntled servitude. So when we face those moments that seems to be unbearable in our life, what happens is we begin to assess it and it makes our servitude disgruntled. And the church has developed this new age theology of praise and worship. Where praise and worship has taken on a pet rally mentality. And this approach may distract me from my pain, but it does not address my issues in the long term. And millennial Christians are being produced ill-equipped to deal with certain challenges in life. Because life is filled with ups and downs. Something that a pep rally won't kill. But authentic worship consists of, watch this, Lament and praise. Let me say it again. Authentic worship consists of lament and praise. Because each one competes, completes the other. So the struggle of Christianity becomes how do I manage the challenges while uh, 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 appreciating the blessings? Jesus said, in his life, you will, in this life, you will have tribulations. We learn these cute sayings like, I'm too blessed to be stressed, or, or I'm too favored to waver, you know. But I'm here to tell you, stress is real. You may even learn to avoid stress, but you will never be able to avoid pressure. So you have to learn to avoid the stress while managing the pressure so you don't abandon your purpose. Come on here, somebody. Such is the discipline discovered in this discourse. We find Jesus facing that very reality as he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's a day away from facing the most challenging reality of, of, of obedience he has ever had to face. Right. He was purpose for this moment. Mm -hmm. And now it's here, and he doesn't want to do it. Right. And what we learn from Jesus is there are moments in your Christian service with what God requires is not necessarily what you want to do. And the struggle is handling the pressures without becoming stressed. How did Jesus manage the pressure? I'm glad you asked. Here's the first point. Don't give a public face to a private fight. I'm going to say it again. Yeah. Don't give a public face to a private fight. Jesus is in a struggle. His words are those of doubt, fear, anxiety, stress, and nervousness. Right. And this scene is right after 
He left the table at the last supper. Still slow, I'll repeat it. Jesus in the garden is praying, and his words are those of doubt, fear, anxiety, stress, and nervousness. And this is right after he left the table with the disciples. When Jesus is talking to the disciples at the table, here Jesus speaks with certainty, confidence, victorious, and he speaks boldness. But scholars have come to agree that the location of the garden from the upper room to the garden of Gethsemane is about approximately one mile. So do we think in one mile it was possible that Jesus lost his confidence? Do we perceive that the distance of one mile from the upper room to the garden of Gethsemane, that his mind switched from speaking boldly at the table to now talking with insecurities in the garden? Or is it more feasible what he spoke in the garden is what he was really dealing with at the table. But here it is. At the table, he was in his assignment. And it was people who depended on his leadership. At the table were people who, who, who needed his words. At the table were people who needed his courage. At the table were his disciples. So what he unleashed in the garden is what he was feeling at the table. Because in ministry and in this Christian walk, you can't bring your garden emotions to the assignment. How many times have you had to minister to someone with the same thing you're suffering from? Speaking about God's goodness and your prayers still haven't been answered. Delivering a sermon or a message and you yourself need a word of encouragement. We may talk strong, but is there anybody here who has to put on a table face while dealing with garden emotions? But just give me one hour. Because I'm only a mile away from my Gethsemane. Because at the table, I'm with you. But in the garden, it's me and God. And I can really cry out. Sometimes, you got to leave the table and have a garden moment. A lot of Christians get burnt out because they're always at the table. Without time for themselves in the garden. If I don't have a time when I just cry and weep and moan and fall on my knees, I don't have a lament moment. And my worship is unbalanced. That struggle never passes through me. I can worship and shift the atmosphere, but my burden is only lifted through lament. It is lament means I don't leave with the same burden I enter worship in. Yes. 
Lament means that I actually gave it to God. Worship means I appreciate God for what he's worth. Lament means I let go of my burden to the one who is worth all. Here's another point to look at from the distance of a vow. Here it is. Don't get stuck on elevated moments. Amen. I'm going to say it again. Don't get stuck on elevated moments. There's a short distance between elevated moments and dark, stressful fears. Time can be very short between the moments of confidence and the moment of fear. And it's very short between the moments of being up and being down. But you don't find your strength, watch this, in elevated moments. Let's say it again. You don't find your strength in elevated moments. It's the low times in your life you develop maturity and you learn your true Christian grip. Geographically, the Garden of Gethsemane is described to be in a low valley region. (laughs) A valley is a low dark, gloomy place. It's the lowest place between two elevated areas. Y'all missed it. A valley is a low, dark, gloomy place. It's the lowest place between two elevated places. He just left the upper room. To go to the valley of Gethsemane. So he could rise to Mount Calvary. There are times in our life. Right after an elevated moment. You're going to face the lowest part of your life. And it is necessary. Right after an elevated moment. You get to the lowest point. So you can be elevated again. Y'all not with me. Okay. Whenever you are looking to get to new heights, you start from an upward position. Here it is. Let's look at jumping. To jump high, you gotta get as low as you can to spring back up. So you start high. Go low to go even higher. But if you get stuck on this elevated moment, there is no chance for you to reach an even higher height. You spring further in your purpose when you are allowed to experience your valley moments. So if you've never been in a low place, you will never be prepared for the mountain. It's in the low places 
we receive our preparation. Yes. You heard that God will provide yes, your every need, right? Yes, but it's not until you're actually broke that that scripture means anything. Because the testament of God's goodness is not what I heard or read about. It's about what I experienced. So God's word never resonates in my heart until I'm in that low moment. Until when I go through that period in my Christian walk where I'm seen as if I'm suffering the most. See, that is the moment when God is truly trying to connect with you. Because yes. when everything is elevated, uh -huh. I praise God, but I'm not intimate with God. Uh -huh. It's not until I get some suffering underneath me uh -huh. that I can cry out in lament. We have to manage the moments of misery even if we don't agree with the direction. Oh, that's hard. Here it is, watch this. Jesus said, not my will. Uh -huh. I'll say it again. Uh -huh. Jesus said, not my will. Yeah, yeah. Notice, it did not say that Jesus didn't have a will uh -huh. or that his will somehow vanished. Yeah. But not my will. See, the thing about it is, in the garden, the devil ain't there. He faced the devil in the wilderness and made short work of the devil by throwing the word at him. He threw the word at the devil and the devil had to go. But in the garden, with himself, he's having the hardest time. Which begins to let us know it's not the enemy, it's the enemy. Our biggest fight is not what Satan does to us. It's about what we don't want to do for God. Jesus comes to this point that what God is requiring is not necessarily what he wants. And he's had to tell himself, not my will. It's not about what I want. If I'm going to be successful in my assignment, it can't be about my preference. It has to be about my provider. Not my will, but your will be done. Can you live with it even if he decides not to change his mind? Can you live with what God could change in your life but decides not to? Even if he did it to somebody else. They got healed, but you still sick. Their marriage is working and you're headed for a divorce. They bought a new house and you still in your apartment. Uh -huh. And you're mature or are you mature enough to say, God, even if you don't change it, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Yeah. 
begun. Sometimes God will force you to work through struggles without deliverance. will force you to work through struggles without deliverance. We know how to shout when he delivers us from some rough stuff. But can you still shout and lift up holy hands because he's keeping you? Not because he did what you wanted, but because he's keeping you. I might not be delivered yet, but he's keeping me. Because if it was I who was keeping myself, uh -huh. I would have gave up a long time ago. Oh, is there anybody here that can testify that the Lord is keeping them? Because when I couldn't die, uh -huh. he died for me. Yes. And when I wouldn't die, uh -huh. he died for me. And when I should have died, uh -huh. he died for me. Uh -huh. He died. Thank you. Oh, he died. Uh -huh. He died for us on Calvary. Yeah. And there's one thing uh -huh. I need you to know. Yeah. He died because he was the word yes. made flesh. Right. Right. But in his death, uh -huh. the flesh left the word. Yeah. He was the word made flesh and walked among us. But then the flesh went back to the right hand and left the word for you. So if you listen to the word and do what the word says, you're able to say not my will, but your will be done. It's when I put the word first, I can put my will last. If I put the word first, my life will last. If I put the word first, I won't come in last. Too many times we get fixated on the wrong word. But if we focus on his word, everything will work in our favor. Somebody may say, but pastor, I don't know all the words. Well, if you don't know the whole word, just know the alphabet. Y'all didn't hear me. If you didn't know the whole word, just get an alphabet. I need you to help me. I'm going to ask all of y'all to scream out the letter of the alphabet. And I'm going to show you how Jesus is in that word. Let's start with the first alphabet. Come on, church. He's Alpha and Omega. He's the bright and morning star. He's Calvary's hero. He delivers us from sin. Everlasting life. First of forgiveness. He's the great I am. High and lifted up. Immortal and invincible. Joy in my salvation. He's the king of kings. He's the lily of the valley. He's my Messiah. He always stayed near. He's omniscient and unpresent. Prince of peace. Quickening power. The rock in the weary land. Self 
Never in the time of storm. He's the true vine. Unchanging love. Victory over death, hell, and the grave. Wash my sins away. X-ray my heart. His joke is always easy. He's the sign of my life. And you don't know the world. Jesus, you know his name, he died, 